I'm excited today to have uh, brother and sister Mark Blackburn here with us today. Many of you, many of you will know them. Um, they've lived in the St. Louis area for a long time. How many years? 23 years. Um, when I was hired at Gateway in July of 2010, Brother Blackburn became my boss and was a great boss. Um, he's worked with him for several years before then he transitioned to headquarters, was manager of the publishing house, and then just a couple years ago uh, left to launch a church. He's going to talk to us about that. Um, but I, I want to tell you, this, this, this family, they are, they are true Christians, and uh, they have a heart for the work of God, the kingdom of God. And I'm just excited that they were able to be with us today. And I want Brother Blackburn to come and take his liberty. Uh, but just, I meant to say this. I want you to know the roles he's had around here. I meant to say that. That slipped my mind. He, student, both of your students, right, graduated from Gateway. And then actually while he was a student at Gateway, he, was also, he also became the campus pastor at the same time. Overachiever. Overachiever. Uh, so he served in the role as campus pastor for several years, nine years or so, nine years as campus pastor. And then he stepped into the role that Sister Russell is in right now. He directed, he worked with Brother Daryl Johns, was the president of the time, and Brother Blackburn worked with him, was some of that role of executive vice president, served there. And though he was, so he's, he's been, he spent many, many years um, on the old campus, but in this institution, and has served in various roles and so um, he's not unfamiliar to what you're facing, what you're going through, what you're dealing with. He's not unfamiliar to that at all. And I'm just excited that they could be with us today. And he's going to share his heart and his burden, what they're doing in the Kansas City area. Brother Blackburn, come take your liberty, minister to us today. It's an honor to be here. God bless you. You may be seated. Altogether, I was at Gateway for 17 years. Uh, I'm a slow student. It took me a long time to graduate, but uh, I'm excited to be here, excited to see so many people that uh, we know, worked with. And uh, as Brother McClintock said, I'll get in a little more specificity here in a few minutes, but uh, we are uh, planting a church in Kansas City, and so before I forget, my wife told me I should do this. We had a group of Urshan students come back in April of last year to help with one of our preview services, and then another uh, few came at our launch service in September. So if you were part of that group, either one of those groups, would you stand? I know a couple of you were part of both groups. Why don't you give them a hand? I will tell you, we could not have done uh, our preview services or launching, and even where we are now without the help of people like the Urshan students and youth groups from around St. Louis. We had a total of four groups come in from St. Louis, drove over and helped us, and so we are so grateful for to be a part of the kingdom, to be a part of kingdom-minded people like all of you. Before I preach, let me get in. I'm going to give you a few statistics. Brother Chavis gave some statistics. And I, I probably did some of this uh, two years ago when I came and preached in chapel before we left St. Louis. 
But in 1843, between 1843 and 1869, Kansas City was the jumping off place for the start of a new life. During those 26 years, the Oregon, California, and Santa Fe trails all originated in Kansas City. People would come there. Over 500,000 people came there to begin looking for a new life, whether it was in Oregon or California or on the trails toward Santa Fe. Today, Kansas City is home to 2.3 million people. When I was here last time, the statistics had been that it was 2.1 million people, but they've updated the census records. It's now 2.3 million people. And today, two years since I was here, instead of 19 churches, we have 21 churches. However, if you take the average number of 100, which is about what we average in our United Pentecostal churches, and on any given Sunday morning in 21 United Pentecostal churches, if you put a hundred people in all of them, that's only 2,100 people. Less than one-tenth of one percent of the population of a city like Kansas City understands and knows the apostolic message. There is a great need in North America. You don't have to go around the world to try to find a place to reach the lost. You can do it right here. You can do it right here in Wentzville. You can do it today. You can do it tonight. You don't have to go. You don't have to raise a lot of money and go anywhere. The lost are all around you. The solution is not just bigger churches. We need bigger churches, but the solution is church planting. It was the pattern of the book of Acts. It is the pattern of the church. It is the pattern of global missions. They're not going just to try to reach a soul here or there, but they're going to plant churches so that people will have a light in the community that they can come to and experience what you and I hold so dear. So before I preach. I've come with two tasks today. One of those is to preach and hopefully to stir up a burden. But first, if you're graduating and you're wondering what to do, you can find something to do in Kansas City. If you're interested in a summer internship and you can't go to Cultivate, you can find an internship at Cross Church Kansas City in Olathe, Kansas. And so keep that in mind. I'll talk, if you're interested, see me afterward. I should be here for the internship fair coming up in March, and uh, I will do my best to be back. But I want to throw that out there and keep that in mind as I preach. We arrived in Kansas City in July of 2018. The first few weeks, it was just getting moved into the house, getting acclimated to the city, getting familiar with the territory. Our plan was that in, after eight months or so, we would begin preview services, which was one service a month, leading up to launching weekly services in September of 2019. And, and during that process, I met a man through the Olathe Chamber of Commerce, got to talking with him, discovered that he, he owned a business. He owned a marketing and a tech business. We became friends I also discovered that in addition to that, he was an ordained Church of God minister. He used to be on staff at a mega church there in Olathe, just down the street from where we lived. And so we began to dialogue, and I began to work on doing some Bible studies with him. And, but in that process of relationship building, he had a lot of marketing people and tech people in his company that they were basically atheists. And so I was like, 
well, I need to find out what atheists want in a church. So I, I was said, well, why don't you get some of your people together and I'll, I'll come in, I'll buy lunch, I'll talk to them and see what it is that they're looking for. It, that if they were going to visit a church, what kind of church would they want to visit? Well, it didn't quite work out that way. We ended up having four people in the meeting. It was he and his wife and his other two partners who were both they were husband and wife. The husband and wife that were the other partners, they were also ordained Church of God ministers. So I'm in the room with three Church of God preachers and, and a lady who used to work at the church but was not a minister. And so I began to ask them, what, what do you think I should do? How should I market? You know the community. How, how should we reach people here in Olathe? And the other guy who had pastored a church in Nebraska and a couple of other churches, he, he began to ask me this question. Well, who is your audience? He said, who is your audience besides everyone? Because, see, when you, when you plant a church, you're not supposed to reach, try to reach everybody. You're supposed to target a certain group of people or a certain kind of person. And, and, I, and I kind of hem-hauled around, and I was like, well, really, my, my audience is everybody. And he, he kept pushing. He didn't like that answer because that's not the way you plant a church. And He said, well, what makes you different? Why, why should somebody come to your church instead of any of the other churches here in town? And So once again, not wanting to engage in all of that, I, I kind of pushed back. And I, I finally, after about the third time he asked, I said, well, let me tell you what makes us different. I said, there's nobody like us here in town. This is what we believe. We believe that there is only one God. We don't believe in a trinity. We, we believe that you have to be baptized in Jesus' name, and you have to be filled with the Holy Ghost evidence and speaking in other tongues. And he said, well, that's what I would market. He said, I, I would market and tell people that if you want a deeper relationship or a deeper experience with Jesus, then they should come to your church. I, I was trying to hide it. I was trying to soft sell what we were doing. I, I didn't want to be offensive. I didn't want to put it out there and run people off. But, but the marketing people said, that's what you should do. You should just tell people that there's something different about you. And if they're looking for that different, then they can find it at Cross Church. And so we began to do that. I'll tell you some stories at the end. But in that process of thinking through who we were and, and what made us different, it was a Wednesday night. I was sitting at the Life Church, Kansas City, pastored by Brother Gleason. It's where we were attending while we were in process. And I, I, I wasn't paying attention to whoever was speaking that night. I was, I was writing sermon or church slogans, and I came up with a three-fold process. And I've entitled it, The Circle of Life. I want to use Acts 9. I'm not going to... Read all 22 verses because we don't have time for that. But I'm going to walk through the story a little bit of the circle of life. The first thing is this, is that you need to have an encounter with the presence and the power of Jesus. People need to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. The text says that at Paul, as he's journeying to Damascus, a great light shines down. He hears a voice and he encounters Jesus for the first time. He knew the God of the Old Testament. He knew all of the ins and outs of the law. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He knew all of that, but he had never encountered Jesus. And when he encountered Jesus, everything changed in his life. Everything 
became new. Paul said of himself, or Saul said, he was the chief of sinners. He is the one who was standing by when Stephen was stoned. He's holding their robes. He's holding their outer garments. He's, he's not swayed by Stephen's passionate speech in Acts chapter 7. But when he encountered God, everything changed. And what I would tell you today is people need an encounter with Jesus Christ. You can have all of the arguments. You can have all of the doctrine. You can have all of the theology. But it's only when they encounter Jesus Christ that, that they really care what you have to say. Nothing else matters until they encounter the God of the universe. I was uh, a few months ago writing down a, a list of reasons why we need a team. When my wife and I, we, we showed up, it was just the four of us, no team. It's not the way you plan a church these days. You're supposed to have, you know, 14 or 15 or 20 people. They all go apostolics, and, man, you're going to have, going to build a church. There were four of us. And so I was thinking about this process of how, how we're going to do this, and and what I discovered through my preview, the previous services that we had, and keep in mind, I've been around this all my life. I've been around Gateway. I've been around Urshan. I've been around the United Pentecostal Church. Never been in a church plant. I was never part of a church plant. But I observed something. When people would come in, and they didn't know anything about being an apostolic, they didn't know how apostolics are supposed to worship, what I discovered was is that just because I was apostolic didn't mean they were going to figure it out. That we needed apostolics in order to make apostolics. They don't do it in a vacuum. They don't just become apostolic. Even if they get, they're born again, they don't become apostolics in a vacuum. It takes other apostolics in order to make them into apostolics. So what I've discovered is we need apostolics just sitting on the pew. Well, let me rephrase that. In the pews, worshiping. That if you're not in the, if you're not, you can have all kinds of worship on the stage, and they'll look at you and go, man, this is a great concert. But when you have apostolics next to them or across the aisle, and they're worshiping and praising God, and they're doing what you were doing a little bit ago, it changes the atmosphere. It creates a place where they can encounter and experience Jesus Christ like they've never had the opportunity before. And I realize Saul, he's on, he's on the road. He's not in church. But that's the exception. The vast majority of people will only encounter Jesus when they come into an apostolic church. That's why we need apostolic churches. McDonald's doesn't build bigger buildings. They, they make more locations. Because the more locations, the more business that they get. And what I would tell you is the more churches that we have, we don't need just bigger ones, but the more churches that we have, the more points of light in the communities where people can encounter and experience Jesus Christ. The second thing is they need to experience the salvation of Jesus. Not only do they need to encounter his presence and power, but they need to experience his salvation. Just two verses out of the story, verse 17, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. It wasn't enough to experience Jesus. It wasn't enough to have an encounter with his, pre- his power. He needed to experience salvation. It is the pattern of the book of Acts where they would come and they would, they would hear the gospel message. People would preach. And they would be like, yeah, okay. Kind of like what some of you may do today. Yeah, he preached. Yeah. But the pattern of the book of Acts was this. After preaching, then the miracles and the signs and the wonders began to take place. That God showed up and they had an encounter with his presence and power. And when they did that, they said, well, maybe it's worth listening to this message. Maybe this message is true. And then they would begin to believe on Jesus and experience salvation. During this process of planting the church, we were having service one Sunday a month during our preview phase. And so I, I took that opportunity to visit a number of churches. Not apostolic churches. I wanted to see what people in our community were doing. And when I would go into these services most of the time I wasn't there for the whole thing but I I would go in and be through the worship service and I would leave sometimes weeping at what I had seen or maybe what I had not seen one church and they had nice lights four hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of equipment I had breakfast with their campus pastor I I found that out $450,000 worth of equipment $30,000 projectors trusses going up all in this gym and in the 20 minutes that I was there probably 150 adults in this gym saw three people that even lifted a hand nobody clapped they're standing there drinking coffee hands in their pocket talking to their spouse. They didn't encounter the Jesus that you and I know. Went to another service. In fact, I went to two services one Sunday morning. Went to one that was supposedly, I'd met the pastor, they were Pentecostal, charismatic. And not only did they have lights, they had smoke. worship leader not only did he have a beard he had some long hair man it was it was styling (laughs) jeans untucked shirt back when I was was a gateway Christians didn't do that in church but I'm just taking shots at some of you today (laughs) (laughs) But but they were supposed to be Pentecostal few more people lifted their hands, but it was just perfunctory praise. It was just because that's what they're supposed to do. There was nothing going on. There was no real demonstration of the Spirit. There was not any real power. I left that service and went to a Methodist church, another pastor I had met, a new church plant. It's different than anything I'd ever been in. They stood during... The worship service, all the lights were on, 
you could see all the way across the room. You know, you didn't, no colored lights, no smoke, no worship even. During two of the songs, the worship leader pushed them to clap through the course. And they did until they got to the end of that course. And then they quit clapping because it's just not what you do. But no presence of God, no power. And yet hundreds of people get up every Sunday morning and they go and they, they're looking for something and they're not finding it out there unless they're looking for a social club, unless they're looking just for some camaraderie. But what they really need is Jesus Christ and they're not finding it out there. I couldn't find it and I've already seen him. I already know him and I couldn't find him in those places. But we need people not only to experience his power, but we need to, them to experience his salvation. And unfortunately, what we do is we get people to the point of they, they encounter his presence and power and they experience his salvation, and that's the end of it. But the third thing that we need to do is engage in the mission of Jesus. Verse 20 of Acts 9 says, Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Just last week, just a few days ago, he's killing Christians. And now, after experiencing the salvation and the transformation of Jesus Christ, he's preaching that Jesus. We are saved for service. And I realize you are at Urshan College here today, that, that you get that. But I also understand that I was at Gateway College for 17 years and people would come in and they would get trained and then they would do nothing. I even understand that while I was training people to do something, other than training them, I was doing nothing. 23 years I was in St. Louis as a student, and then campus pastor, and then vice president, and then administrator of the publishing house. And in 23 years, I can count on one hand the number of people I ever took to church. Full-time ministry, and I'm doing a work for God. But I don't even need a whole hand to count the number of people I took to church. That God has designed that he is going to use people to preach the gospel. You don't have to be perfect. Paul's not perfect. He just killed a bunch of people. But immediately, he's preaching the gospel. God uses people, Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch. He's out in the desert. He needs to know the gospel Angels don't come and tell him. God sends Philip and says, leave Samaria, get out there in the desert and talk to this guy. And he encounters Jesus and experiences the salvation of Jesus Christ. He uses people. Acts 10, he sends an angel to Cornelius, not to tell him the gospel, but to find a man who can tell you what you need. God uses people. God uses you. That is his plan. It is his only When I was still at the publishing house, Brother McClintock can testify, we had meeting after meeting. After meeting, 
and then had a few more meetings about discipleship. And what I knew to be true already, I began to articulate more often, and that is this, that the people who should be the most mature in their walk with Jesus Christ are oftentimes the least evangelistic. Now, I don't do this over here anymore. I don't do that. I pray three hours a day, fast between meals. I go to church. That's my favorite kind of fasting, by the way. But in addition to all of those sins that I don't do anymore, you know what else? Most of them don't tell Jesus about to anybody about Jesus anymore either. They're waiting on them to come up and tap them on the shoulder and say, would you tell me about Jesus? And I tell you, that almost never happens. I'm not even sure twice in my life has anybody said, you know what? I, I know that you're, you're different. Why don't you tell me about why you're different? Why, why don't you tell me about Jesus? It just doesn't happen. We have to tell them about Jesus. I've discovered this, that mission leads to maturity. But maturity doesn't always lead to mission. I, I was shocked one day. I, I was, our vision, I mean, I'll tell you our vision real quick. Our vision is not just to build one church, plant one church. But as soon as we get in any way, shape, or form healthy or have enough help to go and do it, we plan on starting to plant other churches. When I told you the statistics about Kansas City, what research says is that in order to reach a place with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you need one church for every 10,000 people. That means with 2.34 million people in Kansas City, we need 230 churches. We've got 21. That's better than two. It's better than 15, but it's less than 10% of what we need to get the job done. And so our vision is to plant multiple churches and to begin to, as soon as possible, send people out all across the metropolitan area and beyond. So I was thinking about that, and I was listening to a, a podcast. This guy, he was a pastor of a mega church in California, a small group church, and he was talking about the small groups and trying to get leaders. He went to the book of Acts, and I was like, well, this ought to be good. And then I got an epiphany. What he said was, if you look at what Paul is doing in the book of Acts, he's going in and he's planting churches. And he may be there 18 months, and then he leaves. And he leaves the church in the charge of people who didn't even know Jesus 18 months ago. I'm like, the way I was raised is, well, you can't do anything for Jesus unless you, you've been in church 10 years, 15 years, you went to Bible college. Then you might be ready. 
then you might be mature enough to do something for Jesus Christ. But the reality is you can get as mature as you want and you can leave here and never do anything for Jesus. But I would tell you this, that if you get involved in the mission of Jesus, you will mature. You will grow. The the great uh, revivalist Leonard Ravenhill said this, if you want to be on fire for God, spend 15 minutes a day talking to Jesus. Spend 15 minutes a day letting him talk to you through his word and spend 15 minutes a day talking to somebody else about him. That if you get engaged in the mission of Jesus Christ, you will mature. You will become the person that he wants you to be. But you can study all that you want and never do the mission of Jesus Christ. It is the circle of life. We are to take and get people into an encounter with Jesus Christ. We're to get them into uh, experience the salvation of Jesus and then we're to put them out in the mission field. The Great Commission is not optional. I worked for Gateway College of Evangelism, teaching people how to evangelize, but it's not optional for me because I was a teacher. It's not optional for me because I'm a pastor. It's not optional for you because you haven't graduated yet. It's not optional for you because you're not a theology major or Christian ministry major. The Great Commission is not optional for any of us. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. The question is, do you love that world? As they come to the music, Paul said in Romans 8.29 that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. What greater way to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ than for his purpose to be our purpose. For his mission to be our mission. That his mission of seeking and saving the lost to be our mission to seek and to save the lost. Matthew and Luke both record this story. I'll read the version from Luke. Luke 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself would come. Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. For about seven, eight weeks, I drove around our suburb, Olathe, Kansas, five days a week. In Olathe, we have 142,000 people in in that particular suburb, surrounded by other cities. Overland Park, just to our east, almost 200,000. Lenexa, to our north, 50,000, and then city after city with no church. I was driving around, and I was praying about laborers in the harvest and I asked God the question is the lack of laborers 
your lack of sending or is it our lack of going? Is our lack of effectiveness a lack in the gospel or is it a lack in the evangelist? And what I prayed that particular day is I don't want to just be in the harvest. I don't want to just be laboring in the harvest. I don't, I don't want to be able to say I'm out here doing it. But I've got to be effective. He didn't call me to work and accomplish nothing but say I, I worked. But he called us to reach a harvest. So what does that look like? I met Dan December of November or December of 2018 developed a relationship with with him Dan told me his some of his life story he's now 52 at the age of 41 sitting with a client in Topeka, Kansas started not feeling very good and client was looking at him and said, man, you don't, you don't look so good. He said, no, I'm fine. The client had a relative that just had had a heart attack and so he wouldn't take no for an answer. He said, man, I'm taking you to the hospital. You just tell me which hospital you want to go to. And so Dan told him where he wanted to go. And he's laying in the emergency room. He's laying on the table and he begins to describe to the physicians what's, what he's feeling and what's going on. And immediately they know it's an aortic dissection, that his aorta is rupturing, which in most cases leads to death. They told Dan, said, is there anybody we can call? We, we, we need to call somebody. And he's like, well, I don't know. And he, and he gave him, he said, but I'm going to be okay, right? And they're not answering and. He said, I'm going to be okay, right? And Dan, who was raised Catholic, he said that in that moment, God spoke to him and said, you're going to be okay. It wasn't over immediately. He had some difficulties, and during those difficulties, his wife left him. And so Dan's telling me this story one day at a restaurant over breakfast, and he's crying, and in our August preview service of August 2019, I preached that we have healing at the cross, and I, and I told Dan's story, and I got, finally, it took me a long time to get Dan in a Bible study, and I did a two-day Bible study with Dan. At the end of our, our second lesson, sitting in Chick-fil-A, I mean, you might as well eat while you're discussing the Bible. Dan, who had been a Catholic all of his life, I said, Dan, you can see that what the Bible says is that you need to be baptized in Jesus' name by immersion. And he said, I, th I thought I had that box checked. A week later, he said, I, I don't think I'll be getting baptized. Dan got baptized on our, our launch service September 15. He was nervous. In fact, before service, he was so nervous, we prayed for him that he wouldn't be nervous. He, he wasn't sure what to expect. But he's sitting in the, the baptistry, and I said, Dan, 
Remember what we talked about, the Holy Ghost, you can have that. I laid hands on him, and Brother Hobson was there that day at our, our launch service. Thought Dan was going to drown that day, but he got the Holy Ghost that day in the baptistry. I could tell you about Lily. She had some issues with her family in New York, 16 years old. Sent to Olathe to live with family for a semester of high school. We had had connections with her, her cousins, and they all began to come to church. Lily had been in a some kind of Pentecostal church in New York City, as best I can tell. It was fairly cultish, and that was part of the problem that she had with her family. The end of October, the last Sunday of, in October, we had a what I called a harvest Sunday. Had an evangelist come in and preach. And six people got the Holy Ghost that day. Lily was the last one. And she she told she told the evangelist, I was standing there, he said, Why don't, do you do you want this? And she's like, No. She said, I, I don't even believe in God. I stopped believing in God. Because what she had experienced back home and at this church, and he didn't take no for an answer. He said, Well, I'll tell you what, why don't, why don't you just do what I'm, I'm going to tell you a couple things here, and then if you, why don't you just give God a chance? And she did. Standing next to her cousin who had just received the Holy Ghost, Lily began to speak in tongues. And I don't know that she was totally sure of everything because she was still battling some of what went on. It, just before Christmas, Lily went home to New York. We sent her a, a letter. She wrote back. She said this, thank you for teaching me to believe. Thank you for allowing me to feel the Holy Ghost in a different church. It's not us. They're looking for somebody to show them an encounter with the presence and power of Jesus to experience his salvation. Or Ed, he's that church of God ordained minister. He's been to church about 12 times now. He teaches his Sunday school class at this mega church and he comes over at least once a month. I meet with him for Bible study periodically and this past Thursday we met at, at the church and he said I'm getting close to this Jesus name baptism deal. He, he's still wrestling with what he's preached for over 30 years but he's getting close. And when he first started coming to church, he, he might put his hands up a little bit. Sunday in the altar, man, his hands are up. He's walking around. He's praying. It's just a matter of time until God does something in his life. Another lady, she's got some issues still. She posted this on Facebook Tuesday. She said, I cried during worship. Well, actually, what she said before that, she said, this was Sunday at service, and this is by far the best feeling in the world. Nothing compares to it. She wrote this, I cried during worship, sometimes a lot. 
There are times I tell myself I need to get it together. But now I know that I don't ever want to lose that feeling. I never want to become numb to the awesomeness of God and his love for someone like me. God's love wrecks me over and over. And I'm okay with that. That's what he's called us to do. It's great to study. It's great to be equipped. But it's far better to be a laborer in the harvest. One last story. Terry, he, uh, he didn't really want anything to do with Pentecost. But he has a business there in town. He's a managing partner of a mechanic shop. And I began to take our vehicles there and and had a connection with his sister who was 15 years before had received the Holy Ghost in another church, one of our churches in Kansas City. So Terry came to visit and you've never seen you've never seen anybody quite like Terry probably. He stares straight ahead the entire time doesn't move. He'll stand if you ask him. He's not clapping. He's not lifting his hands. He's just staring. He'll even come to the front, but he's just standing there. So I I did a Bible study with Terry, a two-day Bible study from 1979, but it still works. And sitting in the big biscuit this time, not too bad a place, is it, Caleb? I I finished the Bible study, and I told Terry, I said, Terry, this is what the Bible says you need to do, and I I would love to see you experience this. He wasn't totally convinced, and so I told him a few more stories. I I told him about Donnie. He was the first one we baptized back in in May, and and I couldn't even see this on Donnie. I, I guess I wasn't very sensitive, but Donnie told me a week after he got baptized, he said, he said, man, I could totally feel the Spirit. He said, I, I couldn't control my lips and tongue. I was fighting to hold it in. And he said, it was like my heart stopped when I went down in the water and restarted. And so I told Terry that. Terry knew Donnie. We'd, we'd been together a few times. And, and I could see that begin to get, get him a little bit. And I told him a story that Brother Stan Gleason had told me of a man from the Sudan who baptized in Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And he asked this guy, he said, do you guys cast out demons in the Sudan? He said, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, well, do you cast out demons in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? He's like, no, no, we wouldn't do that. There's no power in that name. And then he was like. So I I told that to Terry. I said, Terry. The power in baptism is in the name of Jesus. It's, and I could see it. He's fighting back tears, but he didn't commit to anything. He missed that service at the end of October where we had six people get the Holy Ghost. But when I woke up the next morning, he had sent me a text in the night. He said, I think I'm ready to be baptized in Jesus' name. So November 17, we baptized Terry. 
He came out of the water just staring straight. I mean, nothing, nothing different. Terry's at, he was at service Sunday, and, and we, had, we had a good service. We had, I mean, it wasn't Urshan College Chapel. But, man, God was there. And every apostolic we had, they're talking in tongues, you know. And Terry's just standing there at the altar. I, I walked over to him, and I put my arm around him. I said, Terry, you remember what we talked about, about speaking in tongues and receiving the Holy Ghost? I said, you can. I said, it's a little crazy today, but that's what, you, can, you can have this. He said, well, I, I think I already do. So I, I met with Terry yesterday. Back at the Big Biscuit. And Terry told me, he said, I, I was talking with my brother a couple of weeks ago. And we were doing a Bible study. And he said, I prayed and I began to speak in tongues. And he said, then a couple of days later, it happened again. He didn't want anything to do with Pentecost. But now he's a Pentecostal. Let's stand together. The gospel either works or it doesn't and the church that you and I are part of needs to be more than for just the saved Brother Chavis I'm convinced that we can see here in North America what they see overseas when I was driving around doing that prayer drive 26 miles around my city I prayed over and over again, God, we need unprecedented revival for North America. It's not unprecedented around the world, but we need it here in North America. I'm convinced God wants to do that. There's only one way he's going to do that, and that's if we get in the harvest. And we are effective laborers in the harvest. Paul said in Acts 16 that he saw a vision a man from Macedonia in the vision saying, come, help us. And I would extend that invitation to you today in two ways. If you don't have anywhere to go and your pastor lets you come to Kansas City. But beyond that, the loss of this world, if you could see them, they're saying, come and help us. Would you come and would you make a commitment to Jesus Christ to put everything you know into practice, to get out into the harvest and be an effective labor in the kingdom? Come on, would you come and pour out your heart to him today?